Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thanks for joining us today, everybody. Dear listeners, saw a nice batch of new reviews at Apple Podcasts recently, so thank you very much for that. You can comment on each episode at our website, thenexttrack.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. I have to apologize again this week. I'm still working through a bit of a cold. Um, the past few episodes or so, we've been sort of taking stock of various audio formats, and then it dawned on us, wither the home stereo. The first thing that I ever saved up for in my life was a stereo. I was working in a Carvel on Saturdays and after school. If you don't know what a Carvel is, it's a store that sells soft ice cream. And I saved up my money to buy a stereo from the Radio Shack that was just next door to it. It might have been one of those layaway things where I gave them 20 bucks a week, which I could have just given it to my parents and said, hold on to this instead of giving it to the store. There was a Carvel next to my Radio Shack, too. Seriously. <laughs> Maybe they were owned by the same company. I don't know. But it was a pretty basic... It was one of those amplifiers that had the turntable on top of it, right, with some cushioning springs, and it had two little speakers with really dinky speaker wire. And I have no idea how much it cost. I'm thinking 120, 150. You know, this is 40 some odd years ago. I was 12 years old, I think. Do you, was it the good, the better, or the best configuration? Do you remember in the Radio Shack catalogs, they would have, at each sort of price point, they would have three types of systems you could buy. The good one, which would be like a 10-watt amplifier and a, and a pair of, PA speakers you hang on the wall, or a better one, which would throw in the receiver and maybe some bookshelf-looking speakers, or the best one, which would actually give you a, a, an actual receiver, maybe with a turntable, and maybe those those elegant speakers with that that sort of thatched lattice front on the woodworking. And My, mine wasn't elegant. It wasn't the best. And the speakers weren't very large. My bedroom wasn't very big. In fact, I was listening to this in stereo, and it was on the right side of my bed, both speakers. So I wasn't even listening in stereo. Uh, the wise guys that I used to hang around with as teenagers, we referred to realistic Radio Shack components as unrealistic. Oh, right. The brand was yeah. realistic. Yeah. That's right. Although, surprisingly, in, in, in actually, uh, Radio Shack for a time did actually have some good components that they rebranded as realistic. So sometimes you'd get Yamaha components. Sometimes you'd get Panasonic. Sometimes you'd get Marantz. Um, so sometimes there's some of their speakers, their minimus speakers were incredibly good. And I think they were made by Yamaha, but sometimes not. <laughs> sometimes they were made like by Sanyo. So, well, well, this was the, the, the sort of golden age of Radio Shack. This was when people actually still bought kits at Radio Shack to build things. Sure, sure. But this was the first time in my life that I ever really wanted to save up for something. You know, I was in high school and all of a sudden music became more important than it had previously. And... It was also a rite of passage of belonging to a certain... Cult? Well, not a cult, but belonging to this, you know, at the time, becoming a teenager meant you had to have a stereo. I didn't know anyone in high school who, by the end of high school, didn't have a stereo, either in their own room or that their parents had a stereo. Well, you didn't know, you didn't know people who didn't have one. That's what I said. I, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying that the reverse is true also. It's like all your friends have them, but you also didn't know people who didn't have them. Right, because it was just, it was one of the things that was essential for a teenager in the 1970s. You had to have a stereo. For, for some people, it was the parents' stereo in the living room, the, the kind that 
you're not allowed to touch, that kind of thing. But my parents didn't have good equipment. There there was a turntable. Uh, there was a woolen sack. We've talked about the woolen sack in the past. I don't even remember. I don't think it was even a stereo receiver. I think it was one of those turntables in like a box with a speaker that can't, I don't even remember what it was, but it wasn't good quality. So, so this was a sort of, yes, you're joining, you're joining pre-adulthood by getting your own device to play music. Yeah. I saw it that way too. My father was a hi-fi bug. So my getting my own stereo was today I am a man, you know, that's, <laughs> it's that sort of rite of passage, it's a rite of passage. Yes. That's the unfinished piece by Stravinsky. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, having, a, a, having all that equipment, having all that gear was a very important thing, and it's, it's stayed that way uh, until very recently. Until not that long ago, but yeah. I think in the 90s, you started seeing a shift toward these small sort of all-in-one stereo systems that were kind of like boom boxes. I, I was thinking last night, I was watching a series on Amazon Prime called Goliath, with Billy Bob Thornton. And there was a scene in one of the characters' houses, and he had one of these big chrome boom boxes on a shelf, right? The kind where the speakers can be separated, but he hadn't separated them. And it was reminding me that I almost never see music playback equipment in, in a TV series or a movie. One exception is another Amazon series, Bosch, where he has a Macintosh amplifier, a tube amp, and he's playing vinyl records on a turntable. You know, it's really, it's really hip. But in most cases, you never see that. It's as if people only listen to music by osmosis anymore, that you just, you see computers and you see mobile phones and you might see video games, people playing video games, you know, two thugs playing a video game while they're waiting for the gun mole to come and bring them lunch or something. But you don't see music very often. Well, I think the thing to consider also is there are licensing issues with, you know, playing music. So they may be inhibited by that. To some it's degree. not even technically product placement because in the series, The Good Fight, which is the sort of spinoff sequel to The Good Wife, everyone is using MacBook Pros. But there is a little gray circular sticker over the Apple logo. When you see the keyboard or the screen, you can see it's a Mac, but they never show the Apple logo. Now, interestingly, that is the only series where I have ever seen a smart speaker show up. And they had it as a plot point in a couple of episodes in the second season. It looked like an Amazon Echo, but the wake-up word wasn't Alexa. It might have been Athena or something like that. It reminds me that uh, Columbo used to use uh, modern conveniences as a, as a plot device. For instance... There was something about a camera in one of them. There was something about an automatic turntable that could, and because the 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 evildoer could use these devices to provide him an alibi, uh, they always always have these high tech things. So I'm thinking, what what would Columbo? What would the plot thing be in Columbo with a smart speaker? Like, how could using a smart speaker provide some kind of alibi for me to strangle my partner or my mistress? Well, or, in this series, it was used, it was actually recording some conversations. But of course, if there's a log in it, you could prove your alibi by the fact that it recorded your request to do something at a certain time. And since it doesn't have any remote features, at least that we know of, then it would prove that you're in a particular location. But we're straying from the point. The point here is that the stereo is essentially dead, that the concept of the stereo is dead. The concept of the stereo as a rite of passage as as something you learn how to use, as something you appreciate, as you either just buy a, a system in a box, amplifier, turntable speakers back then, or later amplifier CD player speakers, 
or you buy separates. But almost every home of people I know had stereos. And, and of course, I guess they started changing in the 90s when boom boxes and, and as I said earlier, these all-in-one mini stereos came out. But nowadays, it's if you talk to most people, if you visit most people's homes, who has a stereo anymore except for you and I and, and, and music freaks people? I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this episode has a stereo at home. If you don't, please drop a comment in the show notes and tell us why. And tell us why you're listening to this podcast if you don't have a stereo at home. <laughs> or get one. Get one and then tell us that yes. what you got. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that the the... I don't, I've never liked this phrase, but the home entertainment center, which I guess it's the most fitting thing that there is, has been disintegrated. Um, we don't all sit together in one place and listen to music. I guess to some degree, we all sit together and watch a movie or a TV show. I don't know how much that goes on anymore because everybody's got their own personal devices. I know in my own house, we do not watch the television. We all have our own private screens. The last time I sat in my living room, to watch a television show, it might have been during the football playoffs in January. That's the last time I looked at my TV. Um, the Don't rest you of the watch time the Super Bowl on TV? I watched it on my computer. Really? I watched it right okay. here where I am right now, where I'm talking to you. I watched it on the computer. I was probably doing some coding while the Super Bowl was on. I mean, oh, well, you, know, you shouldn't do coding on Sundays. Oh, I code all the time. Oh, um, okay. Well, see, that's part of the problem, isn't it? But what's interesting is you said the home entertainment system, and we went through this period where people struggled with 5.1 and 7.1 systems. I know I had one for a while. It was a, an all-in-one unit from Sony receiver, subwoofer speakers, center speaker backs, you know, all the speakers. And what a headache it was because my living room didn't have a back to it. It connected to a dining area. So I couldn't put the back speakers anyplace. And when we wanted to use them, we'd take them off shelves and put them onto the dining room table. And it was always a hack. And it seemed like maybe watching one movie a month where this made a difference and then it just wasn't worthwhile. Yeah, we I've had the same struggles. And, it, you know, it always seems with every stereo system I've ever had, it's like I'm almost there. Um, but having the 7-1 system requires the stereo be pretty much set up one way. There's really no other way to orient everything in the living room. Although my wife defies the stereo uh setup frequently by moving the furniture around so that you're no longer in the optimum <laughs> area and I'm like you can't you can't not have the couch parallel to the speakers you have to oh yeah we're going to do it that way now so it's like i've given up nobody's like i said nobody watches television so however you want to set up the furniture that's fine but there is only one way to have these speakers and you have to have wires running around and we're not exactly in a position to, you know, be drilling holes in the wall and running cables and things like that. So I have to run them along the floor, and I you just have to put get, cable then, covers to make sure no one trips over them and pulls them out of the, exactly the stereo right. or the speakers. Exactly right. Or and everything has themselves. to be secured. All the wires. I have the uh, my home entertainment system on like this little sort of like a uh, an industrial cart um, that has wheels. And like the AV Club cart. Yes, exactly. Like the the guy that ran around with the overhead. It's like one of those. Yep. But it's lower, lower profile. It's got the TV on it and oh, speakers and stuff like that. But I've made it so that if it has to be moved, all the wires are ganged to it. So it just you just yep. roll it around, but no wire is going to be disturbed. And and ultimately, as I said, we don't watch it. It's inconvenient to try to adjust it to get that theatrical experience. That's not worth the time. I just rather would sit with my iPad in bed with uh, with the earpods, and 
that's how I consume. So I'm not sure. So it's definitely uh, disintegrated in my home. We don't have a home entertainment center anymore. We do, but no one goes there. <laughs> I know that there are people who dedicate a room in their house to setting up the audio system. People who have a home theater or home cinema system. I've never known any people like that. I have a feeling that these are sort of the audio video equivalent of audiophiles who want to get everything just exactly right. Now, if you do have a room like that and you can put speakers in the walls, then that's the ideal way. Like the, like at the Soprano's house. Tony Soprano had a very nice... That's right, he did. You know, he had the chairs and everything, and he had the, the little theater system. That was nice. Yeah, well, I don't think I'll ever get that. I knew someone in France who had a projector. This goes back 20 years. And big speakers in, in a very large house, and it was quite a nice setup. But it wasn't surround sound. See, that's the difference. Today, you have to get the sound from all angles. And I think that that whole, the palaver of connecting all that stuff and making sure it works, and then you're listening to something, and, and one of the speakers is out because someone stepped on the cable, and you have to stop <laughs> it and check what the problem is, and then the cat eats the cable, and, and it just doesn't work. And I think this is what's led to the popularity of the soundbar, which a, a single unit, sometimes with an additional subwoofer, can more or less replace what surround sound does. Now, I have to admit, I have never heard a soundbar in my life. I don't know anyone who owns one. I've read plenty of reviews to, to understand what they're supposed to do. They're not cheap. They're over $500 or 500 pounds to get something decent. Which leads you to believe that they do sound good. Exactly. Because of the expense. Right. There are some that are cheaper, but everything I've read suggests, you know, don't spend less than around 500 for the for what you're getting. Sonos just came out with a sound bar, and I believe it's $400, and it's wireless. And see, here's what I like. We went from eight speakers with cables all over the place to one thing that plugs in with an HDMI cable, and it's wireless, so you can stream things to it. And I think the Sonos sound bar is going to support AirPlay 2. So while it wouldn't be good enough for, for listening to music, it's certainly better than a Bluetooth speaker. And if people do congregate in the home entertainment room, then they'll be able to listen to music. But at least when they want to watch TV and or, or a movie, a DVD, a Blu-ray, they'll have sound that's better than the TV, better than stereo, and without all the complication of surround sound. But the, the, the soundbar is anchored to the TV, right? As you said, you wouldn't use it just for music. It's specifically for uh, uh, combining with a some kind of monitor. Well... I would think that theoretically you could use it for music if you can stream to it, but I don't think it has enough oomph for music on its own. I think it's more geared toward, you know, when you watch a movie, in most cases, what you need to hear best is the dialogue, the special effects. The, the sound quality of the soundtrack itself isn't the first most important feature. But again, I've read things that say that these sound almost as good as a dedicated stereo. It's hard to imagine because the speakers are so small, but what they have is they have speakers that are angled in different directions to give you a surround sound, to, to give you real surround sound, not artificial surround sound. So that so the purpose of a soundbar is to produce uh, some kind of uh, effect. Uh, Accompaniment audio. So, it's, you, so it might not be worth mm -hmm. it to make a, a dedicated music thing. Well, it's certainly better than a Bluetooth speaker. Yeah. yeah but or I, a boombox. I've got a good-sounding boombox. There were and are good-sounding boomboxes. I remember some very good-sounding boomboxes in the 1980s. Of course, they were quite large and quite heavy. If, if you could separate the speakers from them and get 
good stereo separation, you could you could fuel a block party with those things. I actually have a very nice Panasonic. It's a low-profile CD cassette AM FM radio. I still use it. It sounds really good. When you put it on the floor, it's so low-profile. The speak, There's a set of cone speakers that point out, but there's also a set of speakers that point up. And they push down on the floor, and they create a nice little resonance. Uh, it sounds great. It sounds great outside. That's why we got it, because we, right. when we were, my daughter was little, we used to go on picnics and go to the beach, and we wanted to have nice music. And this, is, this provided it, and it, it was quite good. Um, and so I've kept it. Um, but I still, oh, so we were, we were talking about, you know, the, the sound bar and you said it's almost as good as dedicated speakers, which brings us back to the traditional, the classic, uh, home stereo is still, I think the best way to listen to music, two speakers, 10 feet away from me, 10 feet apart, me sitting in the diamond of sound that to me is, and, and listening to a CD, yeah. That is the that is the best sound that there is. I haven't heard any better, and that's what I will always use. Even though we have disintegrated our home stereo center, that is nobody. It's it's been abandoned. I have stereo stations around the house. Um, I'm using Airport. Um, what is it? Uh, Airport, Airport Express. Yeah. yeah, the little the little hockey pucks. I have three of them around the house. They each are plugged into a Class D amplifier, which is connected to two, a pair of nice little speakers. They're nice little speakers. They're not crappy little speakers. And so in any room, you can hear stereo from any device that we have. Not from the home entertainment center. I can't broadcast from it. But my computers, people's people can walk into the kitchen with their phone, go, I'm going to you know, plug into this. Uh, the kitchen set and listen to music while I cook, we can do that. And that to me is about as close as it's going to get. But each station is still stereo, stereo. speakers with with decent audio. Well, not notwithstanding Blu-ray or DVD audio that offers surround sound, stereo is the only way that people listen to music. Uh, you can listen in mono, and, and if it's a mono recording, that's fine. But two speakers is what you need, two speakers and an amplifier. You know, it's interesting to look at where we are today. You can buy a decent or very good stereo receiver for 150 bucks. I'm going to link to an article that The Wirecutter published last week, and they picked the best stereo receiver. And of course, this isn't for audiophiles, but the, the best was a Sony at $150. The second best was an Onkyo at $153. The quality of audio equipment has gotten so good that the low end is really pretty darn good at those prices. And add a pair of bookshelf speakers at 200 bucks, and you've got a $350 stereo system. That's the price of a HomePod. This Sony is great. It, it accepts Bluetooth. You can play blue, stream Bluetooth to it. It has a phono preamp, so if you're into the vinyl craze, you can plug a turntable into it with no problem for $150, 100 watts per channel. I mean, that's give me one. I'll tell you, that's, it's got two speaker zones. Yeah, I mean, it's which great. Which isn't essential for most people, but it, it was an essential element when I bought my new amplifier because of the way my audio is set up in my office. I have a pair of speakers on my desk and another pair of speakers for when I'm sitting in my comfy chair. You know, these are decent spec devices, and audiophiles would sneer because they're lifestyle brands, but I think it's undeniable that these brands are making quality equipment with the trickle down that you get from the audiophiles, you know, the same way that 
NASA sending astronauts to the moon brought a whole lot of technology to everyday life. You know, audiophiles spending $40,000 on a turntable, there is trickle down from some of that technology that gets down to, you know, the bottom level. And, and frankly, $150 for a stereo receiver today. So I don't know the person who wrote this, but he says he has written for Sound and Vision, Home Theater Review, and, and other things. So he's not just a lifestyle reviewer. If you don't understand my use of the term lifestyle, this is what audiophiles say about people like me who aren't particularly interested in artisanal handmade brands of audio equipment, but are more than happy. You're not in the fraternity. I'm not in the fraternity. I am not. The, um, the other interesting thing about this, I just want to say about this Sony that Wirecutter picked, if you go to Crutchfield, which is a, a company that I respect for, for the stuff that they sell, their lowest priced stereo receiver is this model. Um, and so that's, that to me said something because Crutchfield, they only have good stuff. And, uh, I was, I was very impressed with it. I really, I, and Crutchfield has a scratch and dent, 120 bucks you can pick it up for. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, you can get a decent stereo receiver. It does, I don't think it has AM. That's the only thing. It doesn't have AM radio. It has FM, but no AM. Um, if that's not important, I, I'd pick one of these up in a, in a heartbeat. I just looked at their article from last year about bookshelf speakers. And their bookshelf speakers start at 270 the ones that are their pick. You, you can certainly get bookshelf speakers for less than that. In fact, they have a, a $100 Pioneer pair. But if I were to invest more money in one element of a simple stereo, I would put the money into speakers because that's going to make more of a difference in yeah. sound quality. Oh, absolutely. You've got to have a decent set of speakers. $270 to me... Sounds like the base um, price I would start wanting to think about paying for speakers. Uh, probably more. I, w I would think I'd rather go to like four or 500 for a pair of speakers. Well, but most people wouldn't. Most people wouldn't think of spending that much. Now, another alternative, and that I find quite interesting, is the Sonos Play 1. Now, I had some Sonos gear some years ago, and, and the problem with it was first that it was its own sort of proprietary network. Then they moved over to Wi-Fi. And I'm not even sure if this has been fixed. If anyone's a Sono user, let me know if this has been changed. When I set up a Sono system maybe five years ago, for some reason, my I pointed it to my iTunes music folder, and it only listed music up to the letter M. And then I found out that there was a hard limit of 66,000 tracks for a music library that Sonos could read. But since I had a lot of classical music, there was more metadata, and it was only showing about 42,000 tracks. Now, I wouldn't buy Sonos to use with Sonos's app and ecosystem. I would use them to stream to them with AirPlay 2 because Sonos Play 1 is going to support that soon. If you look at the Play 1, you can buy two of them for $379 right now. It's a little bit more than a single HomePod. I, I thought the Play 1 sounded quite good for what it was, being a small speaker. I don't recall whether the bass response was particularly good, but... If you're just going to stream to something, if you're using an Apple device and you want a stereo, you might just want to stream to that instead of worrying about having an amplifier. I seem to remember that when the HomePod came out, there were a lot of comparisons with, with some of the Sono speakers. I'm not sure which ones, but most people seem to say that, that they compared favorably so that, uh, you know, it makes it very tempting, especially at the price point you're talking about. Uh, it makes it very tempting to want to try to pick up a couple of pair, uh, uh, a pair of, of, of Sonos speakers and give them a try. I would be very interested in trying those. Yeah, wh what I like about them is th the same thing I mentioned. I have uh, a pair of HomePods in my bedroom now. The fact that all you need is a power cable. You don't have to have wires going from a receiver or an amplifier to the speakers. 
they're very discreet. You can also, uh, over here at least, there are some companies that make very attractive little stands for the Sonos Play 1, which is more designed to use for the rear speakers of a, a surround sound system or the side speakers. But you can you don't even need to put them on shelves. Now, the stands aren't cheap. Unfortunately, I'm looking in the UK. It's £149 for each speaker, and it's £70 for each stand. How uh, high do they raise the speaker? They're about 32 inches high. So I think they're designed to be in that position when you're sitting on a couch listening to audio, which is, you know, perfect for surround sound or for stereo. But you could put them on a bookshelf and they'll sound good as well. I, I, I particularly like the Sonos Play 5, and that's the big one, all in one, slightly curved, so there's a bit of stereo separation. And I had that in the bedroom for a while, and, and that sounded excellent, much better than I would have expected for a device like that. And it's not even that expensive anymore. I see the Play 3 is 249 so that's a single. It's got, what, a single woofer and two mm-hmm. tweeters. And the Play 5 is about 500 pounds, so it's larger. Is it better than the two Play 1s? Probably because it's got bigger bass, but it's a single unit, so you don't get the same separation. In, in any case, we, we've reached a point where all of these devices are now replacing the concept of the stereo, which had a hub, your, your amp or receiver, to which everything was connected. Now the hub is dematerialized. The hub is your iPhone. The hub is your, your iTunes on your Mac that you stream with AirPlay to it. You're the hub. Whoever controls the music is the hub, but the hub might be in the cloud if you're using Apple Music or Spotify as well. That's a good point. But still, it has to be managed by a person. It's, one of the difficulties I'm having with a lot of this stuff is that there's a fight. Um, if, if I walk into a room and I want to hear my music, I have to disconnect the other person from listening to streaming, and, and then I have to reconnect. And, you know, there's... So someone has to be the decider about who's going to, you know, there has to be some decisions made when, when you're playing music through streaming. But I, that's something that we can work out. We're still, we're still, we still communicate with each other. We can say, hey, I'm going to shut this off now. So it works out okay. I, I think we've lost something in the fact that, you know, go, back in the day, okay, here we go again. It, it, this, this is us sitting in rocking chairs on a front porch someplace. Pretty much. Yep. 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 yep, yep. <laughs> Corn yep, cob pipes yep, and everything. Yep, yep. But back, yep, yep. back in the day, we'd have... sit around. Some would buy a new record. We would have some sort of, what would I, altered states material yep, yep, going yep, around yep, the room. Yep, and we'd yep, be, yep. you know, listening to the record. And someone would get up and flip it when it was finished. And we'd yep, talk about yep. this and that. <laughs> and it's all changed. The way we listen to music today is so different from the way we listen to music in the past. Gee, it was so different from the way we listened a year and a half ago. If you think about it, if you go back to some of our well, earlier episodes. Well, for us, but we're still listening on the same hardware. It's just our source is different. My music system now is actually the best I've ever had in terms of, of sound quality. I have excellent speakers by Focal, a French brand. And my amplifier in my office is, is very, very good. It's simple. Again, I've got the same, I've got the TV room over there that no one goes to either. And I've got an AV amp and, and I've got a, uh, I moved my older Blu-ray CD player into my office to play CDs, and I bought a 4K Blu-ray player last December, and I haven't taken it out of the box yet. <laughs> I saw this thing on sale. It was just when I was making the move, and I sold the previous CD player I had in my office. And I said, okay, I'm going to get, you know, post-Christmas sale, 99 pounds, going to get one of these, and it's just sitting there. I just, I don't have any discs 
if I get a new Blu-ray, I pop it in my iMac and I rip, rip it. it. I put it in my Plex library. So I don't even need this device. It's you can't let go. Well, I don't know. It's not about letting go. It's about you, you know we're we're rolling with the punches here. We're moving with with the changes. And if anything, we're tech savvy people who are probably more sensitive to when these things change and wanting to be involved in the change. I think the bigger difference is people who aren't, who may have a stereo that's gathering dust, or young people moving out on their own. What do they even buy today? Now, my son has a a NAD amplifier that I handed down to him and a decent pair of Wharfdale speakers, I think. But would he care about the sound if I hadn't given him this hardware? Yeah. My daughter doesn't have any speakers. My daughter listens to everything over the phone with uh, with earphones. So she's not even interested in you know this analog thing that's going on that I have. I mean, she uses, she does yeah. plug into you know, the, the airplays, but she doesn't, otherwise listen to the music over speakers so drop us some comments to the show notes tell us do you still have a stereo i'm assuming most listeners do have a stereo do you have an av system in the tv room do you use it if you have teenage kids or older what do they listen to how do they listen to music how much has all of this changed the way you listen to music i think we're indicative of a subset of our generation people who care enough about music to still want the hardware but i think most people just don't even care anymore Now we are going to pick us some next tracks. Kirk, what are you listening to? My next track this week is two Grateful Dead recordings that I got in recent months. Every year I subscribe to the Dave's Picks series. Dave Lemieux, who is the tape archivist, he picks four concerts a year and they're released as Dave Picks Volume 1, Volume 2, etc. We're up to Volume 26. And you get four a year and you get a bonus disc with one of them. So the last two deliveries were... 11677 from Binghamton, New York, and 111771 from Albuquerque, New Mexico. The bonus disc being 121471 from Ann Arbor, Michigan, which was also the third disc of the Volume 26. I found myself not having unwrapped Volume 25 when I got it, and Volume 26 had already come. And I said this weekend, oops, I'm going to rip these and start listening to them. And I guess in a way I'm spoiled having gotten so many Grateful Dead recordings. And I'm not talking about trading tapes and CDs. I'm talking about the official releases that sound really good. From that Europe 72, um, which was 73 CDs about eight or 10 years ago, to the 50th anniversary set with 30 concerts, there are so many of them. It's overwhelming. Yet every single one of them is a gem. And this is what's really stunning. I don't really listen to them as much as I probably could Back in the early days with the first releases, what they called the Vault Series, and then Dick's Picks, named after the late tape archivist Dick Latvoa, they were the only ones available. And now there's a glut. But every time a new one comes out, they're really good. One thing that's interesting is none of these Dave's Picks, not one, has been later than 1981. Now, real deadheads know that once you get past about 1978, it gets really sketchy, that there were some good shows in 1980 and 1981, but you get up into the 90s, and they, they just weren't that common. And for me, The Grateful Dead is, is 1970s, the best stuff. If you want to buy these, you have to act quickly when they go on sale. The best way is to get a subscription. Otherwise, when they announce a specific volume, it's generally sold out within a couple of days. I think it's $120, $140 for the subscription. Uh, and you get the bonus disc, and the bonus disc is always a good bonus disc. And, of course, the, these have resale value. Just check on eBay to see what they're worth. 
So if you're, if you're a deadhead, you're probably already buying these. If not, check some of them out. You can get the Dick's Picks recordings on the streaming services, but the Dave's Picks probably won't go streaming for many, many years. What about you, Doug? What's on your virtual turntable these days? I'm a fan of the band Cake. They're a, a band that got popular in the 90s and actually survived the gauntlet of 90s alternative music that was popular at the time. And they're still around and they're still recording. I have uh, Fashion Nugget and Comfort Eagle, which I think are they're probably the two of the most famous albums, but all their albums are, are quite good. Their, uh, their songs will uh, often pop up in my playlists, and I heard one the other day that I'd completely forgotten about. They do a cover of Black Sabbath's War Pigs on their B-Sides and Rarities album, which was a record that came out in 2007, kind of late in their discography. And um, it's a great cover of War Pigs. It starts off as a fairly note-for-note -note cover, but then they sort of add their own stuff to it. And when Cake adds their own stuff to things, it's usually stuff like mariachi and funk and rock and lots of sarcasm and humor. I had completely forgotten that I, that I had this record, and so I was really surprised when it popped up in a playlist. Not only do they do the Black Sabbath cover, they also do Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town, which is a Kenny Rogers song. Strangers in the Night, they do. Um, and, of course, Short Skirt, Long Jacket is on this record, too. That's a pretty popular song. But I, I'm so glad that uh, that Cake is still around and still sounds good. I'm not, I have to say, there's a lot of 90s bands that I really don't need to hear ever again. But Cake always sounds good when it comes up on the virtual turntable. B-Sides and Rarities from Cake is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.